This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the latest mindless vandalism to hit a small business downtown. This one happened at the City Lux Boutique on Howe Street. This is a women's designer fashion store. Windows smashed again. The surveillance video of this one going viral online. Let's discuss now with my guest, Kim Nguyen. Kim is the manager of the City Lux Boutique. Kim, thanks for coming on. No, thank you for having us. Okay, Kim, this is a very, very nice store that you operate there, and I'm sure this is your busiest shopping time of the year, and you've got to deal with this nonsense again, so I'm sorry you're dealing with this. So first of all, when did this happen? Um, this happened, uh, I would say two days ago now, December 6th. Um, the initial smash happened exactly at 5 a.m. on the 6th of December. Okay, and a lot of people may have seen the video of this online as a it's been circulating quite widely. Can you describe what you see on this surveillance video? On the surveillance video, you see two women kind of hanging around our steps in the store, like leading into our entrance. There's like um, steps and a little ramp. Um, they've been hanging around there for, I would say, a good 15 minutes, looking around, looking inside. Um, and then exactly at five, um, she used this like um, little... The mechanism where they advertise, you know, every woman should have, they should have this on their keychain in case you're, you know, stuck in your car in an accident, you can use it to smash a window. Obviously, it's advertised probably for safety reasons, but they used it to um, break our window. Right. And when you look at the video, it's very unusual because I'm looking at the people in the video and they don't look like uh, homeless or, or anything like that. Yeah, so watching the video multiple times, even our customers were just like, did you just notice that she's wearing a Canada Goose jacket? I'm like, no, I didn't even notice at all because I was just paying attention to our window. Yeah, no, that jumped out at me too. I mean, they they look like they're wearing very nice clothes or they don't look like they're homeless people on the street. So how do you interpret that? Like, I'm wondering if this was an attempted break-in that they just decided not, they chickened out and ran away. Like, why do you think they did this? Um, You know, we thought about so many scenarios because obviously our main window got broken into um, three months ago mm-hmm. and it we literally just got it installed a week ago a week ago exactly a week ago and it again another window was smashed she actually tried to break that window again like she was at that window that is repaired. There's a little wooden like plank on it to kind of keep it stable till they come back ever um after the six weeks to kind of seal it completely. Yeah. She tried to break that one and I guess it didn't work, so she did the little window on the side instead. Yeah, and so do you it think seems it... like uh, I'm not too sure. I don't even know. 
Yeah, it's hard to tell. I mean, it's impossible to really tell why someone would do this. But when I looked at it, I thought, is this just, you know, just mindless, reckless vandalism? Or was this an attempt to break into the store, maybe to steal stuff? It, who knows? I mean, have, have you heard from the police? What have the police yeah. told you? Um, the police, the thing is, they deal with this all the time, right? Like, yeah. they're dealing with bigger things also at this time. But they said that it was just very interesting for them, even, that they weren't wearing masks. Mm. And, you know, it was just like, again, they weren't homeless. And they knew that our area gets breaking into a lot. So they're just, I think they're just going to be in the area a little bit more now because of our... Because we post on Instagram, I'm not going to lie, a lot of the support from our customers and people just wondering what happened, why is it happening? Because it's really normal, honestly, walking downtown, um, seeing windows smashed from stores. You don't even really look twice because it's normal, and that's the sad part. Yeah. What is the dollar value of the damage here? The main window, including cleanup and then labor and then installation, is five grand. Oh. The small one, I'm pretty sure it might come up to almost five. Oh. Again, like maybe 3500 Good grief. Are you guys covered on insurance with that, or is that just a straight loss for you? It's going to be a straight loss, just yeah. because it's not even worth it to even claim it, you know? Like, it's literally insurance is for floods, fire, like something much bigger than, you know, a window at a time. Right. Yeah. I've heard from other uh, shop owners who have said similar, like they, it's not worth reporting it on your insurance because it's only going to, they're only going to rack up, crank up your premiums anyway, if you file a claim. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, you're just stuck with mm-hmm. sort of just taking the cost, the hit on it. Speaking to Kim Nguyen, Kim is the store manager at the City Lux Boutique on House Street. So, you know, you mentioned that this had, you'd had the window smashed earlier. What about, did somebody steal a couch from the store? Yeah, that we was were like, actually still. <laughs> tell me, tell me about we're that. We're so famous is, about that. <laughs> yeah, that's the famous one. This is another one that was went kind of viral for you guys. Like, what happened there? Someone came in and took a couch right out of there. Yeah, it was like I would say maybe two or three, like midday. Um, a lady came in and she was holding a metal bar. So again, the girls, we have young girls working for us, so they are told, you know what I mean? It's we don't want them. The first thing is their safety, right? Like, if it was me, it's a little different. I might have hustled and hustled a little, just a little bit to get the couch back. But she literally put it on her shoulder. It's a hollow ottoman and walked it right out of the store. <laughs> okay. So this is like an ottoman or like a couch that's there for your, your customers? Yeah, and... it's, um, it's just like, a, like an ottoman for, you know, anybody to sit on if they're not shopping and they're just sitting yeah. in the store waiting for their friend. Yeah. Yeah, and it looked it looked very nice. I mean, I saw the photos of someone carrying this thing down the street, and I well, that's a nice piece of furniture. Yeah, it was so funny. The cops were just like, "Can you tell me what she looks like?" I'm like, "You can't really miss a teal ottoman <laughs> in the middle of downtown core." Did you ever get that one back, or was that ever solved? We no? did actually. Oh, you got we okay. did. Um, we did, and when we got there, she was saying to my boss, um, her name's Sunan. She she got there all right off the plane. Um, she went downtown to kind of find her and went with the cops. The And then the homeless lady, she was just like, no, it's it's mine. I was moving. I don't know how I got this couch. Like, <laughs> it was an interesting situation for sure. Oh, dear. Okay. How long have you guys been operating down there on House Street? We've been there, I would say, late 2016. 
Okay, so it's so quite a while now. And w- would you say the situation is getting worse in the neighborhood? For sure, one hundred percent, it's gotten worse. Like you, all times of day, we actually had a customer's Tesla broken into again three p.m. midday. Um, just her shopping, she went down the block, and then she heard her phone alarm go on and it was midday a guy with a lever like a hammer like went smashing in her car cop like literally cars were stopped honking at him nothing really happened but he stole her baby bag and ran down to granville street okay this sounds like it's almost like like this is normal yeah Yeah. normal it's it's normal it's like almost like a daily daily situation here in the neighborhood the broken windows and break-ins and stuff so Mm -hmm. um where how does that make you feel like you talked about, you know, the safety of your, your, your staff is, is the primary thing. Do you feel, do your staff feel safe working down there now? They do when it's with like, for example, if it's a busy day, we have so many customers inside the store, you feel a lot more safer with people in the store. Yeah. Um, it's just the sun sets so early now it's because it's winter and you see your own reflection. That's how dark it is outside. Yeah. Um, you don't really see who's coming in, coming out. So it's it's hard to say, like, the girls are safe when they're with me or, again, with my boss, Sunan. Um, when they're by themselves, it's, we have to book them, like, where they're working with another. There always has to be two girls on just because it's, like, it's just not safe. Yeah. Yeah, last question. Even for- on days that it's quiet. Yeah. Last question for you, Kim. Um, I'm sure... You've got some very loyal customers there. Have your customers been supporting you guys? 100%. I feel like um, as soon as we posted the video, the main reason why we posted it was honestly because they didn't look homeless. And if anybody knew them around the area, like Vancouver, yes, it's big, but it's quite small too at the same time. Like hopefully our customers could kind of figure it out, but they're sharing our reel and sending us like messages saying like, you know, or that this happened during the holidays. Because, you know, as a small business, like, money is so important during the holidays. Just in general, it's important. So let alone the holidays, making sure that we have enough inventory, just allocating the right amount of money. It's tough, but the customers have been great, like, messaging us, saying sorry what happened and things like that. They see it all the time when they come by our our block. They're just like, oh, look, another window got broken into down the block. It's quite normal. I hope the rest of the holiday season is more peaceful for you, Kim. Thank you for coming on to talk about it today. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. You heard my conversation there with Kim Nguyen, manager at the City Lux Boutique on Howe Street. The windows smashed there again. They've been in operation for six years down there in the neighborhood. They say the crime down there is the worst they have ever seen. Uh, they're worried about the safety of their staff. Let's check in with Sergeant Steve Addison now, spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department. Steve, thanks for coming on again. Hey, Mike, no problem. The latest on this one, this one kind of went viral this week with the video, the surveillance video that came out, and you got a pretty clear look at some suspects there. Can you tell me the status of this investigation and that particular store? Yeah, it's it's under investigation. It's very it's a very solvable case. Uh, Kim did the right thing. She reported it to us right away. Um, she had store security video uh, that shows the suspects. We were able to get uh, police officers assigned to it right away. 
Uh, we had police officers down there yesterday, not only at the store reviewing her store security, but also walking the neighborhood looking for other security cameras. As a result of that, we've got really good pictures of these two women, these two suspects. Uh, we're in the process of setting up a tip line, and we're going to blast those pictures out. And I know Kim has already done it on, on her, her personal or on her store's social media pages, but we're going to blast those pictures out to the public because we want to identify uh, these suspects and hold them accountable as well. Uh, we're in the process of doing it right now. Very solvable case, but also extremely frustrating. Like, here we have a, a small business owner trying to make a go of it at a very difficult time, and the last thing she needs is to have to deal with something so senseless like this, to have to eat the costs of a $5,000 window that somebody has senselessly smashed. It's not just happening to her. Uh, it's happening to a lot of people, particularly in that area, along Howe Street, in Yelltown, in the downtown core. And uh, there has to be some kind of consequences. There has to be some kind of deterrent. So we'll do whatever we can to solve it, to hold these people accountable. Yeah, and like you said, this particular case is just sort of one snapshot in time of like dozens, who knows, hundreds of cases like this. Like this is happening. She described it as this is a normal daily occurrence down there in the neighborhood. Is that, is that how you would describe it? Yeah, and a lot of it doesn't get reported. A lot of it just gets eaten up by the um, the business the small business owners who just eat the costs. Uh, they won't even go through their insurance anymore. They won't even report it to the police. We want these things to be reported. So not only can we uh, investigate them, uh, track them, and properly allocate resources, but so we can hold people accountable. Um, this is a senseless crime. There needs to be a deterrent. There needs to be consequences. And in this case, if uh, a store owner, and we're seeing this uh, more and more where store owners, store owners are doing what Kim has done, put these pictures on social media um, to, to blast these pictures out. And if posting pictures on social media doesn't bring about the social shame that acts as a deterrent, maybe criminal, a criminal investigation, criminal charges, and a criminal record will. Um, so we are seeing a huge spike. Uh, we know there's a huge underreporting factor, particularly in the downtown core where we've seen a lot of grass, glass breaks, a lot of commercial break and enters. Um, Kim's done the right thing. She's reported it to us. Like I say, super solvable, and we're, uh, we're on it. Okay, you guys track these closely with some of the statistics that are available. Some of the statistics, though, like you said, could be underreported. Maybe even the official stats don't show how big of a problem this is. But what is it? What kind of statistics can you tell me in terms of like reported crime or this type of vandalism, smashed windows? How much is it going up? Yeah, so we we like to compare it to 2019, which is the last year pre-COVID. Um, it, it, we use that as a baseline year um, because all kinds of crime statistics got skewed throughout the pandemic as people's behavior changed. Looking at the downtown core alone, when you factor in uh, glass breaks and break and enters, so the difference being a glass break is like is what is what happened at at Kim's store. Somebody just broke the glass, uh, as opposed yeah. to a break and enter where somebody breaks the glass and goes in and steals something. Um, when we look at those two crimes, there's been a 64% increase um, as of wow. the end of August uh, in, in this year compared to 2019, which is our last pre-pandemic year. Uh, so it's it, and, and that's just what's been reported. So huge spike. Um, and and these are oh, while these are solvable cases, they're also very labor intensive. You look at this case alone uh, at Kim's store. Since it was reported, we've already had eight police officers involved in this file. Everybody from the patrol officers who did the video canvas to the forensic video analyst who's uh, processing the video to you and I who are talking about it. That's eight police officers who are assigned to a glass break at a business. You multiply that by 
as of the end of August, 256 cases. That's a whole lot yeah. of police officers. Those are officers who are not walking the beat in Chinatown. They're officers who are not patrolling high crime areas. They're officers okay. who are not investing the stabbing and the sex assault we had earlier today in the downtown core. Um, so it, there's a very significant uh, cost to it. Thank you, Steve. You bet, Mike. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Let's talk about the crackdown on speeding now. RCMP in Coquitlam were busy this week. They nabbed a lot of drivers going over the limit. They impounded a lot of vehicles, too. Check this out. In one four-hour shift in Coquitlam, police impounded six vehicles. Wow, that's a pretty high batting average there. Six vehicles impounded in just four hours. Four of those six vehicles that were impounded were for excessive speed. They got one guy going 129 kilometers an hour on Lougheed Highway. And I'll tell you, though, that guy's got nothing on the Kamloops driver they caught in Alberta. And you won't believe how fast he was going. Let's check in with Kyla Lee now, lawyer at Acumen Law. Kyla, thanks you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Okay, is this the time of year, we, we know about the, there's always an impaired driving crackdown at this time of year. Are police looking for speeders too? Police are looking for any type of uh, traffic infraction. So even though they're out um, in large part doing counterattack enforcement, they aren't going to let you go if they see you doing something else uh, that is unlawful on the road. Okay, what about this uh impounding of vehicles is that a common thing i mean if they're going to impound your vehicle for speeding i i, I imagine you that be for excessive speed right yes yes so if you're excessively speeding that is at least 41 kilometers an hour over the speed limit the police are actually required to impound your vehicle for a minimum of seven days if it's a second uh, or subsequent excessive speeding offense um, the impound will actually get upgraded to a 30-day impound uh, so you can lose your car for a month and how much can this cost you in terms of dollar-wise? For the seven-day impound, it's about $250 plus whatever it costs to tow the car. Um, and for the 30-day impounds, it works out to about $850. So it's really expensive. And the ticket itself isn't cheap either. The ticket starts at $368. If you're more than 61 kilometers an hour over the speed limit, uh, then it's $483 for that fine. Right. And do penalty points go on your driving record too? Excessive speeding has three penalty points. So unless you yeah. have other points, you won't pay a driver penalty point premium, but there is the driver risk premium associated with it, which is uh, $340 a year, every year for three years. Okay, we've had some pretty wild examples here of, of lead foot drivers really, really putting the hammer down here and getting caught at excessive speed, including a driver from Kamloops who was caught driving his Porsche 270 kilometers an hour. This is unreal. This is like Formula One type stuff. 270 kilometers an hour on the Trans-Canada. This happened in, Al in Alberta. He got caught. Have a listen to RCMP traffic sergeant here, Darren Turnbull. 
The officer observed a high-speed vehicle coming towards him uh, in an eastbound direction. Uh, the officer obtained a speed reading on the vehicle, uh, a white sports car, of 270 kilometers per hour, uh, some 160 kilometers per hour over the speed limit. Okay. <laughs> 160 clicks over the limit. What in, like, what kind of trouble is that guy in, Kyla? Uh, well, if this happened in Alberta, then a lot of trouble um, because he's definitely going to be charged with dangerous driving uh, as a result of driving at that speed. Um, and Alberta is a lot stricter on speeders than we are in British Columbia. You think we're bad here, but Alberta is worse. Really? H- how is it different there? Um, in Alberta, if you get an excessive speeding charge, you don't simply get a traffic ticket and have your car impounded and go on your merry little way. Um, you actually are, are required to attend court to answer for that excessive speeding charge. Um, so unlike in BC, where you can choose to dispute the ticket, you still have to appear before a judge uh, in traffic court in Alberta and uh, explain yourself regardless of whether or not you want to dispute the ticket. Okay, I've heard a lot over the years from people who think that sometimes speeding infractions are not fair. Sometimes police officers will sit up, set up in a speed trap. I've heard people make the argument that it's a revenue generating exercise when they're handing out speeding tickets. But, you know, when you're driving 270 kilometers an hour, like Ricky Bobby style Talladega nights on a highway, that is absolutely insane. Have a listen. Let's have another listen to this RCMP sergeant here, Darren Turnbull, uh, talking about how fast this particular driver was going to 270 kilometers an hour in a Porsche and how dangerous that is. Have a listen. If you look at the 270 kilometers per hour, that is um, 75 meters per second. At 75 meters per second, the average person needs one and a half seconds to perceive a danger and then react to it. So that's 112.5 meters. That person is going to go down the highway before they can even react to the hazard that's in front of them. It's just dangerous. Yeah, yeah, just dangerous is probably an understatement there. Kyla, your thoughts? Oh, he's absolutely correct. And, you know, I've certainly been one of the people on your show that have said that some speeding enforcement is, uh, you know, feels more like a cash grab than um, actual enforcement. But there are, of course, always uh, reasonable actions taken by police and and stopping somebody who's driving like that is necessary uh, to protect the public safety. Oh, for sure. I mean, you've got to impound that vehicle, maybe send the guy to jail. As far as I'm concerned, you're going that fast. But let's talk about... You know, I've heard about speed traps. Everyone's heard about speed traps. Are speed traps true? Like, are there certain areas where police will set up in a kind of a, a fishing hole where it's easy to catch speeders at the bottom of a hill or at a, uh, a, a, a zone where the speed limit changes suddenly? Does that happen? That does happen. Um, We have to remember, of course, that speed limits change suddenly not because um, it makes it easier for police to do enforcement, but usually because the road features are changing. There might be uh, more residential um, buildings, there might be a school coming up or uh, denser um, urbanization that requires the speed limit to lower. Um, You know, Marine Drive is a really good example of that, where there's some sections that are 80, but as you get into the more developed areas, it drops to 50, and police are often there doing enforcement. Um, of speed uh, because of the safety risks, or at least they say, um, because of the safety risks that exist when people continue at the high speed into a, a zone that requires a lower speed of travel.
Right. And how do how do police officers normally or typically catch a speeder? Is it is it almost always with a like a radar gun? Um, by and large, yes, with laser or radar. Um, so they will set up in a location and they will do enforcement um, often as a result of community complaints or, or direction from a municipality about a problem of speeding in that particular area. Um, but police can catch you for speeding in all sorts of ways. They can pace your vehicle by following behind you. Uh, they can use moving radar in the police vehicle, which can measure the speed of vehicles ahead of them or in the opposite lane of travel um, that are approaching their vehicle. Um, They can also do a visual estimation. They don't need a measurement of your speed on some sort of device. Many police officers are trained on how to estimate your vehicle's speed within a margin of error, usually of less than 10 kilometers per hour, and provide accurate evidence in court about how fast you were going. Wow. Wow. And does that stand up in court? Like when you have a police officer on the stand saying, "I, I don't have, I didn't have a radar or laser on this vehicle, but I estimate he was speeding. Is that, does that usually result in a... In a, t- in a ticket, in a conviction? It can. It can. I mean, I've succeeded in cases where, for example, the police officer was only trained in speed estimation from a stationary position, but was doing it moving or only trained in doing it in the daylight, but was doing it at night. And obviously, if you can call into question whether they were trained to estimate speed in the conditions in which they did it, then that may raise a reasonable doubt and result in an acquittal. But there are convictions in traffic court every single day on the basis of an officer's perception of your speed. Talking about speeding with traffic lawyer Kyla Lee. Lots of phone calls. Let's get right to them. Ryan in Vancouver. Hi, Ryan. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, I get really frustrated when I hear about the police doing a speeding enforcement blitz because it's misallocated resources. Uh, it's not that big of a problem. Yeah, go get the guys going 270 kilometers an hour. Fine. But the biggest and most dangerous issue that I see as a driver on, in Vancouver is People staying in the left lane when they should not be because it creates a a backlog. You get a big line of cars and then everybody gets frustrated and tries to go around them. That is a much more dangerous and problematic issue than speeding. Okay. Okay, Ryan, thank you for the call. Well, Kyla, would you agree with that? Like, do you think speeding is over enforced? It is definitely the most common uh, ticket that police issue in British Columbia. I think I did the math recently, and there was about $12 million in revenue from uh, speeding tickets uh, in the last year. Um, But at the same time, uh, statistics that ICDC generates show that it remains one of the leading causes of death and injury on the highway. So when you balance that out, you know, there is a case for the level of enforcement that's done related to speed offenses. Let's go to Daniel calling from Nanaimo. Hi, Daniel. Go ahead. Hi, uh, my question is around commercial vehicles. I, I drive tractor trailer for a living, and um, one of my one of the biggest pet peeves for a lot of us out here is having uh, these cars speed past us, get in front of us, and hammer on the brakes, or not allow us to pass in a safe manner, even on a on a four lane highway. So I'm just curious: is that illegal for drivers to do that to commercial vehicles? What you mean, like they go in front of you and like brake check you? Yeah, brake check you, or you you pull out to pass them, and then they speed up, and then it makes oh. it easier to pass. And then you get back in behind them, and then they slow right down, and now they've just made an enemy for life. Oh, man. Well, that's kind of a jerk move. Is that illegal, though, Kyla? Uh, well, there is a provision of the Motor Vehicle Act called driving without reasonable consideration for others. So, you know, if it could be proven that that was a, you know, demonstrating inconsiderate road use for the other people, then yes, that would be illegal. And it is a quite a hefty ticket to face. Hmm. You ever seen one, a, a ticket written up for that? Oh, yes. But it's okay. usually written up for things like stunting. 
Stunt, stunting? Uh, stunt driving, people spinning oh. their tires deliberately, doing uh, fishtailing on purpose, that type of oh, thing. Oh, okay. Daniel in Vancouver, hi. Hey, Mike. Um, good morning. Um, yeah, I'm a bus driver, a school bus driver. Um, I know where kind of uh, radar traps are. Uh, McGill at uh, Commissioner on both okay. sides. Um, the uh, Granville Street Bridge, which definitely needs it because uh, people pass me like crazy on that thing, and I'm doing 60. Um, and uh, where's it? Where? Oh, Venables. Um, the mm. not uh, the Georgia Viaduct. Okay, so hide there. Okay, so you're a school bus driver. Do you think that cracking down on speeding is 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 a good thing? The police should be oh, doing. Man, absolutely. Yeah. I see it all the time. Like school zones, people pass me in school zones. I'm doing thirty. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. Oh man! You gotta have some kind of nerve to pass. It. They they swear they speed around you right in the school zone. Yeah, and Gee, they also, they also break check me. And the other thing is. On Georgia, from 7 to 7, um, it's a bus lane, and everybody uses it in rush hour to uh, get past the traffic. And so I'm driving the bus, and there's like people that just pull right in front of me, and I'm like, um, this is a bus lane. Oh, boy. Okay, Daniel, thank you for that. Stay safe out there. Andrew in Kamloops. Hi, Andrew. Hey, hey, good morning. I Hi. travel up and down Highway 5 all the time, and they've been doing lots of pipeline construction. And I recently got a speeding ticket in a construction zone that was normally, like, it's at the bottom of a hill. But this time, the police have extended the construction zone to the top of a passing hill that was normally never there. And my question is, is are police allowed to modify construction zones so that way they can kind of set up their own little speed trap? Okay, good question, Kyla. Under the Motor Vehicle Act, the construction zone does have to be like a a, a proper construction zone in the sense that it it does have to be being used for construction. But there is technically no um, prohibition on police moving the signs in order to better enforce the construction zone as long as it's, you know, close to the construction and, and reasonably related to the safety of the people in the construction zone. Okay, thank you. Uh, thanks for the call, Andrew. Rhonda in Aldergrove. Hi, Rhonda, go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, my comment is um, regarding bringing driver's education back into the high school curriculum. Uh, mm. there's, lots of, there's lots of creative electives now for the students in high schools, um, but I can't think of one that is used as commonly as driving would be. We're in our vehicles every single day, all of us, um, and, uh, you know, not everyone can afford driver's ed. It's quite an expensive course. And, yeah, you do get two credits in high school, but that's if you have $1,000 to put towards your child. And uh, let's face it, an accident costs all of us millions and billions of dollars every year through ICBC and takes lives. Well, was, put, it back in, put it back in high school. So driver training in the past was actually part of the curriculum? Well, driver's ed was part of the curriculum. Like, I'm going back, like, you know, 30 years because my mom took it, you know, and she's like, oh, they need to bring huh. that back. and. And um, and when we were learning to drive, you know, my mom would always say a, a vehicle is a 2,000-pound killing machine. Each uh-huh. one of us, you know, like, seriously, we could kill people every day if we're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you for the call. Kyla, what do you think of that? 
Um, I understand that driver's ed used to be part of school curriculums. I think that there are issues with the resources necessary for it because ICDC has pretty strict requirements on who can actually teach driving lessons to students. Um, so it wouldn't be something that would be able to be taught by just any uh, any teacher. You would need special certification and permission from ICDC, which makes it a bit of a burden for school districts to actually be able to provide. Squeeze in one more. Arthur in Kamloops, you got 30 seconds. Uh, quickly. Uh, more enforcement, the better. Question, what is the law regarding the fog lights or off-road lights below your headlights? People seem to be using them everywhere, all the time. Fog, fog lights. Kyla, you got 20 seconds here. Uh, you cannot have your fog lights on unless you need them for the fog. And installing additional lights on your vehicle that are not part of what the manufacturer installed is also not permissible unless you're using them only in an off-road capacity, but not activating them at any point while you're actually on the road driving around other people. Kyla, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about workplace rules and what your boss can force you to do in terms of whether you can have a beard at work, what about tattoos, how about piercings, the way you dress. Check out this story at BC Ferries. BC Ferries right now is a ban for many of its workers on facial hair. So if you have a guy has a beard... Uh, that could disqualify you from working certain jobs at BC Ferries. Now, why is that? BC Ferries says it's a safety issue. If some of these workers have to be involved in fighting an onboard fire, they have to put on a gas mask type of uh, piece of equipment or a respirator, and it would not get a, a good close face seal if the wearer wears a beard. So, therefore, beards, facial hair, not allowed the union is disputing that and fighting back i've got darren saul standing by to discuss this first let's have a listen to this report here from global news you're going to hear global news reporter aaron MacArthur, also eric mcneely here president of the bc ferry workers union have a listen to this crew members would be required to enter confined spaces with functional respirators slowly okay according to bc ferries facial hair can impede a tight seal a grievance has been filed with the company seeking exemptions for at least three employees for whom beards are part of their faith. According to the union, one worker, Manpreet Singh, hasn't been able to sail now for six months. Some of our members have been offered uh, different work, not work that they uh, normally would do, and, and we would say that those sort of offerings have not fully contemplated the uh, duty to accommodate. Okay, sounds like uh, it's an interesting case to me. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Darren Saul. Darren is an employment lawyer at Samfira Dumarkin, and I'm very pleased to welcome Darren back to the show. Darren, thanks for coming on today. No problem, Mike. Thanks for having me today. Okay, you bet. So this is a really interesting story. It's gotten a lot of attention this week about a ban on facial hair at BC Ferries for, for some workers. Do you think the union has a case there? Uh, I, you know, I, without maybe commenting specifically on the union, I, I think there is a case here for people who have things like religious exemptions. I mean, there yeah. there is a requirement for companies. I mean, they can put in policies, but but those policies must stay on the right side of the line and, and, and avoid discrimination. And here you have the potential to discriminate against um, certain religions that require, say, facial hair. Um, you know, and, and along with that, you, you touched on that earlier, which is the duty to accommodate. 
Um, you yeah. know, here they're saying that there's no, uh, they have to have respirators that are tight enough. But I mean, we've been operating. There are firemen with with beards. There are obviously respirators and and things available to to accommodate these people with. And so, BC Ferries wants to put a policy like this in place. They have to establish that you know they've taken all reasonable steps and that any kind of you know additional accommodation is you know undue hardship. Um, yeah, what is the, can't do it. What is that? Duty to accommodate. We heard that reference there in the clip we played. What is that? So duty to accommodate is where you have a individual with a disability or with a protected ground such as religion. And there's a policy that or, or a policy or something that infringes upon that. In order for the employer to to not run afoul of human rights laws, they have to show that they have taken steps to accommodate that person. So in this sense, it may be there are specific respirators, uh, if that's the concern, there are specific respirators designed for people with beards. So it would be right. BC Ferries obtaining those for the individuals who have beards. That would fall within a duty to accommodate. Um, if right. there's nothing available to do, then, I mean, you know, that, that, that's a different analysis. But, but here they have to make steps in order to say we've instituted this policy, uh, and now let's see how we can make it uh, applicable to everyone and how we can modify or, or assist the people who maybe are having difficulties with it. Yeah, and the union is making that precise point as well, that, look, you know, there's a way we can get a, we can deal with this. We can have a guy who's got, got a beard, and there are respirators that can be designed that we can access that he would be able to use if the, in, in the event of an onboard fire. And like you said, there are firefighters with beards. <laughs> so, I mean, there's got to be a way to, to figure this out. But I wonder if... You know, what if BC Ferries turns around and says, no, uh, there is no equipment we can we can source that can accommodate these employees. So therefore, they're not allowed to work here in this job anymore. Like, can they argue that that public safety in this case, like making sure that you've got an adequate fire response on board a ferry, if there's a fire would would overrule uh, someone's religious rights and freedoms? Well, that's an interesting kind of intersection there. I mean, when, when, when we look at that, you know, they, they, the employer, so BC Ferries in this case, does have occupational health and safety um, obligations that are imposed on it through, through legislation, through, um, you know, work safe and, and whatnot. They have obligations to the workers to ensure that they're safe. And if this is truly an issue, I mean, the, the duty to accommodate doesn't absolve them of this, though. They, they still have to try to make appropriate uh, measures and, and with with this, I, I mean, I find it hard to believe that this is a new issue. People with beards and and fighting fires is, is a new issue that hasn't been tackled in the world yet. Um, I have yeah. to imagine that that there are respirators and things that are designed for this. Um, you know, if you have supply chain issues, then then maybe there's something to be dealt with there. But to wholesale say, you know, there's no way to accommodate this person. I mean, they'd have to establish that first. And if they okay. were able to establish that, and then that, that would that would impact the person's employment potentially, if they're on the right side of the occupational health and safety legislation. Okay, this raises a lot of other issues in the workplace to me, and I wonder if you could comment on, like, let's say someone has a, uh, wears a a turban or a hijab or some sort of head covering, a, a, a Jewish person who wears a yarmulke a Christian person who wears a crucifix. Can your boss tell you you're not allowed to wear these at work? You're, you're, and so this is something to clarify for everyone. Your work can essentially tell you anything. They could terminate you 
for any number of reasons. Uh, where where it crosses the line, so for the examples that you gave, those are all, I guess they'd be, you know, religious insignia or, or, or religious items. Where yeah. it becomes a problem is where they're discriminating you against you on that basis. So if they fire you, terminate your employment specifically because of that, or they say we've instituted this policy and that's a religious ground that, that you know, you're, you're wearing a turban or a crucifix or a yarmulke or anything like that, and we're terminating you because you don't now fall on the right side of this policy. Well, that, that is a discriminatory policy. And no, they can't do that. They, they, well, they can do that, but they would be at risk of human rights damages or a human rights claim being made against them, as well as likely a wrongful dismissal claim, provided they don't pay you severance. Um, but what, they would be on the wrong side of that. What about tattoos or, or piercings? Like, can your boss say to you, You've got like visible tattoos, so you're not allowed to have this job, or or we don't allow someone to be have pierce a pierced nose or some other part of their face pierced. Can they do that? Can they tell you you can't you can't work here if you if you're tattooed or you have piercings? You, your work can have policies on things like visible tattoos, visible piercings. Again, with the caveat that they don't they're, they're not religious in in, in nature. Um, so I know there are some religions out there that have piercings and, and sometimes. Um, you know, tattoos or whatnot that are part of the core of the religion. In those cases, again, they would fall into the religious exemptions and protections of the Human Rights Code uh, in, in B.C. And, and in Alberta and in the rest of the provinces. Um, but if it's just a random, you know, um, I don't know, sailor boat or something you have on your arm and they're like, well, we don't want visible tattoos, they can terminate you because you don't fit that wow. policy or that, that image they're putting forward. But they have to pay you appropriate severance. It doesn't absolve them of their responsibility and their duty to pay you appropriate severance uh, if they're terminating you. Ta- tattoos in general, piercings in general, if they're ornamental or, or whatnot, you know, that doesn't form a ground for discrimination. It's not a protected ground um, unless it you know, essentially would fall under religion in that case. What about uh, what about a dress code? Can you, can your employer enforce a dress code on you? And I'm thinking specifically about, uh, let's say, a woman working at a restaurant as a, a hostess or something. Could you have a boss, or maybe work in a casino or something like that? Could you have a boss saying, "Well, you, you have to you have to wear like a a dress to work or a short skirt or something because that's expected here"? Can they do that? Well, so you, your employer can generally put in 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 place. Uh, you know, dress codes are appropriate types of dress. Where you get into issue, and, and I think this may be what you're, you're driving at here, is if you're specifically targeting one type of worker, so women. If you're saying yeah. men can wear whatever they want, wear, you know, there's no dress code for men. Women, you must wear a dress or you must wear a blouse and a skirt or something like that. Then there's the potential that you're, you're discriminating on the basis of sex, which, again, is a protected ground. Um, and then you, you, that person may have recourse against their employer. Uh, for discrimination on that basis, especially if they lose their job. But losing their job is not necessary. If they're experiencing discrimination in the workplace, that is what um, locks in a claim, is if you've experienced discrimination, whether or not you've been terminated or not is a separate issue. If you're experiencing that discrimination, you have a claim under the code. All right, we continue talking about workplace rules and discrimination. Can your boss fire you because you've got tattoos or piercings or different color hair that the boss doesn't like and they force you to wear certain type of clothing at work? Um, my guest is Darren Saul. Darren is employment lawyer at Samfuru 2 Market. Okay, uh, the produce, our, one of our producers here, uh, Darren, uh, Phil Figueredo joins me. Hey, Phil. Hey, Mike. 
Okay, Phil, this one hits home for you. We were just talking over the break. Okay, tell me your story here. Yeah, it was funny. Everything that you were saying just kind of, I was like, hey, that's me. So I used to bartend (laughs) at uh, Rogers Arena in Vancouver. And um, yeah, I have my ears pierced. I have both my arms tattooed. Uh, I wasn't allowed to wear earrings at work, which I mean, fair enough. You are a bartender. If something falls out of your face or your body and goes into a drink, it's bad news. I get that. Uh, however, air conditioners sometimes wouldn't be working and it was really, really hot. You know, we had to wear long sleeves, dress pants, looking good. I wasn't allowed to roll up my sleeves because of my tattoos and I would get in trouble for it all the time. But you're running around, you're you're a bartender, you're running around pouring drinks, it's really busy. And from time to time, I would get hot, roll my sleeves up, manager would come around, Phil, roll your sleeves down. So on one hand, I get it, it's the rules, you have to follow the rules. On the other hand, you know, at this time it was 2018, 2020-ish, uh, It's time to get with the times here, people. No one finds the tattoos offensive anymore. It's not like I had bad words or anything like that. Uh, Yeah, Mm. so that's my story. Okay, so if you did not have tattoos and you rolled your sleeves up, you would have been fine. Totally fine. Not a problem. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, Thank you for sharing that, Phil. Darren, what do you think of that? Well, I, that, that's something that, that we, you know, I, I hear about quite often, actually. I mean, just like kind of Phil, Phil said there is, you know, it's 2022, it's 2020 when that was happening or 2018. And, and we're not in, in, the, in the era now where tattoos are signifying something, you know, nefarious or anything like that. They're, they're more a part of mainstream culture now. And so I think that's kind of vestige of the old world where tattoos are viewed as, as something that, um, you know, in, impacts or, or projects negatively on the company. Uh, that being said, that is still around. And if they had policies in place that didn't allow Phil to show it, I mean, it's it's not a protected ground. It's obviously not something that's great for for an employee to to experience, and that's something that's probably not going to want to make an employee continue to work for an organization like that if that's impacting them. Um, yeah. But it's, there's nothing specifically against the tattoos. Yeah, you know, the, the piercings, like you said, you know, there's there's maybe health and safety or food issues that there there's concerns about there. Um, but I mean, the, the tattoos don't hold the same issue. <clears throat> Okay, phone me on this now if you've had a similar experience. Star 9898 is the number on your cell. Let's go to Denise on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Denise, go ahead. Hi, Michael. Um, When I graduated high school in 1980, I worked for my dad at his company for three years, and then I got into the punk rock scene, and I came to work one day with a purple streak in my hair, just a streak. And my dad walked into the office and basically said, you're fired. And that was the end of that. (laughs) What? You got fired by your own dad? By my own dad, bless his heart, yep. (laughs) Oh, wow, because you had a, uh, I guess you were a bit of a rebel back then, huh? I I was becoming a rebel, yes. I was a rebel, then I settled, then I was rebelling out again. And then after that, um, I was working at the West Ender newspaper, still a punk rocker, and and I had um, shaved part of my head and did the bob comb over to hide it. Uh-huh. And they thought I had cancer and was going through chemotherapy, so nobody said anything until finally one day somebody said, <laughs> she doesn't have cancer. She's a punk rocker. <laughs> She's saving it <laughs> deliberately. So I was told if I oh. shave one more hair off my head, I'm out of a job. So oh, I had to let oh. it grow in. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, well I, hope this, I hope this did not cause any kind of permanent rupture between you and your dad. No, God, oh, no. He used to host punk rock parties for me and oh. feed all my punk rock friends. And 
every every Christmas they were welcome. So no, but when it came to his business, and you know, I was at the front desk. So be it. You know, it was his business, and uh, right. and I'm okay with that. Um, no, no permanent damage. I think today oh, would, would be a lot different. <laughs> Denise, thank you very much for sharing that story. Okay, so fired by your own dad there, Darren. we got 30 <laughs> seconds left. What do you think of that one? Uh, I mean, he, aside from the personal issues that that may have caused at the time, the rifts or, or, or whatnot, it seems like everything worked out okay. Uh, but mm. but that kind of goes back to what we were talking about previously with, with the bartending, is that, you know, that that is the era that looked at these things as, uh, you know, tattoos, you know, alt kind of, um, you know, body modifications or even haircuts or things like that as projecting negatively on the company. Like Denise kind of okay. said, I think it'd be different today. Um, but, but again, the, the employer is, is able to to project their, their image of their business uh, how they want, as long as there's no discrimination on a protected ground. Thank you, Darren. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.